We are in part six of our Living into the Kingdom series, and I entitled today's message, Navigating the Almost. Navigating the Almost. And I'm going to begin with a question, cite a scripture, and we're going to jump into the fill in the blank. But here's the question. If God is the ruler of the universe, then why are things so messed up down here? Isn't that a fair question to ask? If God is the ruler of the universe, then why is everything so messed up down here? Well, we actually don't have to wonder, the Bible tells us, and we find it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read to you. The author, speaking of Jesus, wrote this. He said, God, you made him, Jesus, for a little while as he was on earth, lower than the angels, meaning human. You have crowned him now with glory and honor. And you have put everything in subjection under his feet. You have left nothing outside his control. But, and here's the key, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. What does it mean? Well, it's simply the fill in the blank on front of you, which is what? Everything is not yet how God wants it. Everything is not yet how God wants it. There's a difference between authority and control. Right now, God has the authority, but he is not exercising the control. Today is a kingdom of invitation, but one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's control. But as of now, he is allowing dysfunction for a limited time. And it is not how he wants it. It is intriguing that we tend to look at our circumstances and we make decisions about what God is like. We will say things like that hurricane that came through wiped out all those innocent people. God must be blank. We will say, well, as long as there's cancer ravaging my family, God must be blank. The unfortunate thing about that is I don't think we're looking at the whole picture. I'll tell you a little story. The disciples were in a boat, and they were crossing the lake with Jesus, and a storm came up, and waves were about to overwhelm the boat. The first thing they cried out was what? Jesus, wake up. Don't you care if we drown? Side note, he's in the boat with them. <laughs> Pretty sure he cares. Right? But that is our reaction. God, I got a bad diagnosis. I'm praying about it. You're not fixing it. Don't you care if I hurt? That's always our response. Can you imagine that Jesus could have turned to his disciples and said, my friends, I am on the way to the cross to give my life for you. I'm going to die and take all the wrath and punishment that your sins have brought so you would be safe and be with me. What more could I possibly do to demonstrate my love for you? Do I care? Of course I care. But you see, we assume that if God is present, then everything will go easy. That is incorrect. When Lazarus died, what did Martha say to Jesus? If you were here, he wouldn't have died. What did Mary say to Jesus? If you were here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, the reason I wasn't here is I let him die. They didn't seem to understand that. We assume that if God is in our midst, then everything goes easy. Not yet. You see, we are in this complicated place where heaven is breaking in and great and mighty, wonderful miracles are occurring, but we are not fully in the kingdom. One day there will be no more death, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering, but we're not there yet. So for now, things are not yet as he wants them. But one day they will be. See, we've been in this series called Living into the Kingdom, and I want to remind you, in case you're brand new, what we've been talking about. We've been talking about what it means that we as Christians are members of the kingdom of now. What does that mean? We're talking about what it means to be born again and that new citizens of heaven reality. What does it mean that Jesus came and changed everything? 
What should the normal Christian experience look like if we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God? So we're studying some of the stories of Jesus. They're called parables. The parables are basically Jesus' way of saying this. He's saying, you know, I'm starting a brand new thing. Something no one has ever seen on the face of the earth. After thousands of years doing it one way, I'm doing it different. And so I'm going to tell you a bunch of stories. It's going to be kind of like this. It's going to be kind of like this. It's going to be kind of like this. That's why we study these. So my message today has two parts to it. One is we're going to talk about why things are complicated. And two, we're going to zero in and dial down on one element that seems to frustrate most of us. That is the issue of praying for healing. Now, I don't know how many of you have been healed, but I can guarantee you, if you're a Christian, you have prayed about healing and it didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. And sometimes we think that means that God doesn't love us. That is incorrect. So you ready to do this? All right, here we go. Here we go. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. If you need a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. But I'm going to be talking about this a little bit by just sharing we live in a complicated existence. There's the kingdom above, which is heaven, which is perfect. There's the kingdom below, which is earth, which is broken. And then there's a kingdom within us. Why is it within us? Because if you are a child of God, it says that he comes in and dwells with his people. We call it to the little kids asking Jesus into your heart. What does that really mean? It means that God himself comes and indwells us. So we are now a walking temple of God. All right. But the Bible also says that we are broken and we live in a broken world. So what does it look like to have the perfect? What does it look like to have God himself so near dwelling within brokenness? Well, it looks complicated. I'll tell you that. And that's why we need to talk about it. Jesus addressed it head on. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it's a very familiar passage. I bet most of you know this one. It's the Lord's Prayer. We've addressed it a couple times in this series. Jesus, when his disciples said, hey, your reality is a little bit different than ours, we would like to know how you do it. And he said, all right, I'll teach you how to pray. But I do want to be clear. Prayer is just talking to God, yeah? Sometimes we make things a little fancy, a little extra. If you're going to talk to God, you're going to talk to him a little different than I'm going to talk to him, okay? So if you listen to me and go, oh, I'm doing it wrong, hold on. We all have different communication styles. That's all right. But Jesus said, in principle, pray like this. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the evil one. And then some ancient manuscripts include what? The phrase, for yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Y'all know this one? Okay, so looking through that, through the lens of complicated kingdom, what does it look like to have the presence of the kingdom in the brokenness? It's right here in the verse. It's right here in the prayer. What do I mean? Here's what you, we just read. It says our Father is in heaven. What does that mean? It means that we have ultimate help from the creation of the universe. That's good news. But then it says his kingdom is pressing in, but it's not fully here yet. Then it says we are currently in lack. That's why we need daily bread. Then it says we still sin, so we need forgiveness, and other people are sinning against us, that's why we need to forgive. Then it says, we are still in danger of the evil one, that's why we need protection, and we are still subject to temptation. But yet all the while, it is what? His kingdom, his power, his glory forever. So how does that work? 
right? We have all these needs and all this challenge, but he's the ultimate king and he's reigning right now. This idea that Jesus set out and he goes, look, kids, it's complicated. Because until I finish wrapping up here, you're not quite sure what's happening. Because he's changing and kingdoms are invading kingdoms. All right, so let's talk about how it works practically. And that is Jesus is our greatest example, yes? We are called Christians for a reason. That means little Christ or little mimics of Jesus. So we want to copy Jesus in all things. And I will constantly, as your pastor, encourage you, if Jesus was doing something, you and I might need to be doing that too, right? So we follow his example. And I will always argue that Jesus demonstrated his humanity, not his deity. How do I know that? Because when he shows his deity, everybody falls. So as long as you're still standing, he's probably showing you his humanity. He showed what it was like for him to be tired and hungry, right? He was showing his humanity. Why? As an example for us to follow. But when we look at the life of Jesus, how did he demonstrate the kingdom? Well, he did radical stuff. I mean, he was throwing down pretty hard, right? What was he doing? He was casting out demons and he was healing everybody. And he was doing what? Miracles, walking on water, doing extraordinary things, commanding the wind and the waves, and they shut down. I mean, he was moving at such a powerful level. And then we look at our lives against his life and we're like, I'm not seeing the same thing. Instead of being discouraged, I want to highlight something. Jesus was different than us in a few different ways, but one crucial way was the virgin birth. Y'all know this one? It's pretty famous, right? <laughs> one reason it's famous is because it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Contrary to what every teen mom has said to her parents, <laughs> it has only happened once, right? So, when the virgin birth happened, something was unique there. You see, in Jewish thought, original sin, and what I mean by original sin is when Adam and Eve blew it, all of the nation, uh, excuse me, all of the people group of humankind fell into sin. We are now born into sin, the Bible says. That's called original sin. As we grow up, we only confirm that we are sinners. All right, but in Jewish thought, sin nature is conferred and given through the dad. Why is that so important? Because in the virgin birth, Joseph wasn't involved. Why is that important? Because Jesus was not born with original sin on him. He was born pure and perfect, came into humanity and lived a sinless life. When you are sinless by nature and you maintain a sinless nature, your kingdom living is going to be on a whole different level. Y'all following me? So in other words, when you see Jesus walking around telling the wind what to do, that's because he's on a different level. Yeah? So if you go out today and you don't like that it's raining and you start shutting it down, <laughs> right? Right? Which the plants are very angry at you if you did that. If you start trying to shut stuff down, you're like, how come it's not exactly like Jesus? Well, we're not exactly like Jesus, but he is our role model. So should we be leaning into more of what he's doing? Yes. Should we be wielding more power and authority? Yes. That's what I'm going to keep chasing us to do. We were built for more. There is kingdom living and kingdom reality that we need to bring alive in us would you turn with me to Luke chapter 5, verse 36? Luke chapter 5, verse 36. With each new kingdom reality, new rules apply. When you chose to be saved and said, Lord Jesus, yes. 
Everything that you have brought to me, everything that you have initiated by your love, every rescue you bring, I want that for me. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I need to be cleansed by you. Be my Savior and my Lord. When you did that, the Bible says that you were born again. It says that you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It said that you became alive for the very first time. It says that eternal life erupted in your body and you became a partaker of the divine nature. It shows that suddenly we are who we were built to be. That is what it says. Now, what does that mean? It means you're different. Different how? Well, let's read this parable. Luke 5, 36. It says, and Jesus told them this parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good enough. What does that mean? Now, I was born in 1971, the last day of 1971, December 31st, New Year's Eve, baby. My parents, you are welcome for the tax break. <laughs> My gift to you for birth. Praise the Lord. All right. I am of the Generation X generation. I believe I am the last generation that did patches on your jeans. Is that correct? <laughs> like, if you go any older than me, we had patches on our jeans. I think I'm the last generation that did that. I don't think we're still doing patches, right? See, because here's the thing. It used to go sewing on patches, then it went to iron on patches. I'm iron on patch guy. Right? So when I was growing up, we didn't have a whole lot of money. And then when you're growing like crazy, like I was, right? I'm 6'3". When you're growing like crazy, your knees wear out because, of course, you have to slide in the dirt. That's what God made us for. So when you rip your jeans, instead of buying a new pair of jeans, my mom would turn it inside out, put the little patch on there and iron it on and it would be a new piece on the old piece. You could still see the tear, but you couldn't see the skin because it had the patch on there. That's what it's talking about. Now, what it's saying is the old jeans are already been washed a million times. They're already as stretched out as they can get. But when you put a new piece on there, it hasn't yet worn in. So over time, it's going to create a mismatch because it's not going to what? ultimately end up in the same place. So it pulls away from itself. Then he says, what about new wineskins? Very simple concept. They had animal skins where they would put the wine in. When you put brand new made wine into the wineskins, you lock it down. It then starts the fermentation process. Fermentation is where the gas inside of it begins to bubble and create a pressurized environment. That's what helps it become the wine that you can drink. But when that happens, it presses outward, it expands. The skin of the animal then has some give to it. Once it is done giving, the wine has to finish in that state. Now, if you drink all that or pour all that out, and you put all brand new wineskins, that skin is already stretched as far as it can. When you put new stuff in it and cap it, it's going to want to expand all over again, and it's going to break it. Does that make sense? What was his point? He said, guys, the new reality that I'm bringing to you does not just get to be an add-on to the old reality. You cannot just take religion and try to put Jesus into religion. It's not going to work. You can't just do the old things and have a little bit of Jesus in there. It's either an all overhaul or it's not at all. It needs to be a complete born again. You need a whole new container in order to handle the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can't just be a good person and God come and dwell in you. He'll break you apart. You need to be transformed by God because you have a whole new kingdom reality and it's going to need some expansion room. There are many of us in this room 
that God's been trying to get some new stuff in us for a really long time. But notice what the last line said. It said, no one that drinks the old is like, ah, it's good enough. I don't need that other stuff. You see, the Jews had one way of working with God for thousands of years, and Jesus changed it on them. And they said, I like the old way. He said, but we're not doing that anymore. And they didn't like that. Jesus was trying to give that idea to them, but in the same way, I think that we need to have the same warning. You can't just put Jesus as an add-on to your life to try to make things better because he's going to start causing some friction and start causing some problems. Until our hearts are fully surrendered, we're not going to have enough expansion room for what he wants to do. Amen? All right. All right. Here we go. Now, we're going to transition into talking about healing. I want to be very clear on something. I have prayed for decades that this church, Bridgeway, would be a house of healing. I so desperately want the presence of God to be so thick in this room that whether we pray for you or not, God just moves in our midst. That all of a sudden you're at church and you go, something's different. Something changed. I want a kingdom reality in here that is so real and tangible that you can invite a friend or a family member and they're thinking something's different about that place. There is something else going on. I want that in this place. I want to be able to have a time where we in the middle of service are able to stand up and pray for one another and miracles are breaking out because God's moving through you. That's what I'm looking for. So I want this so badly. Do I know how to make it all happen? No, I don't. Do I know how it all works? No, I don't. But I do know that some people are suffering right now that don't need to be suffering anymore. And my heart can't handle it. I don't want to just keep talking. I want some power behind it. So if the reality is that we have God within us, that he came to dwell with us, if indeed we are living in a new kingdom reality, then why don't we have automatic healing like Jesus did? I mean, isn't that kind of a frustration? You guys, August 31st was the year, the year anniversary of my dad dying from brain cancer. Just this last year, just this last August 31st, one year. Feels like a million years. You guys think I didn't pray for him? You think that his son, the pastor, was not at his bedside? I'm the one that had to try to get the nasty medicine into his mouth. I'm the one that had to keep rotating him so he wouldn't get bed sores with my siblings. You think I'm not praying about that? Of course I'm praying about that. You know what? He died. It didn't go like I wanted it to go. So I know all about frustration. Now I've seen mighty miracles and I've seen God say no a whole bunch of times. And I just want to help you understand as our family, as you're going out and living this kingdom reality, it doesn't always go the way you want, but that doesn't mean we quit. It just means we grow up. It just means we understand a little bit more. So I want to share a little bit about how I see that. I believe miracles are for today. Now, not everybody does. There is a view out there that says that God gave a bunch of signs and wonders and miracles when the church first started as kind of a proof or authentication that the church was legit. Once it was legit and we had the Bible and the testimony locked down, they don't do that stuff anymore. There's no more miracle working. There's no more tongues and prophecy and healing and all that stuff. People believe that. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe that. Could it be real? Sure, I, I don't, I'd have to re-rack everything because that doesn't seem to make sense and there's no biblical evidence for it. But I'm going to tell you, I understand the argument. There's another extreme view that says all sickness and suffering is all due to the devil. And the only reason it still exists is that the church has dropped the ball. That they're the ones that should be renewing the entire world, that we should be praying the kingdom in. And if there's anything going wrong, it is our fault. I disagree with that view. I don't think that is correct either. So I have a third view. And I came up with a name for it. You want to know what it's called? My view. <laughs> yeah, deep. Okay, so my view 
is that we live in a complicated time of the kingdom of now but not yet. That there is mighty workings of God, but everything is not yet right. So you have a tension, you have a conflict. And what I mean by that is that while believers are still dying, I'm not going to believe that we have the full kingdom. Because the Bible says that when we have the full kingdom, believers don't die anymore. As long as believers are dying, sorry, I'm not in for the full kingdom. But I do know there's more of the kingdom here than we're playing with right now. I think there's a whole lot more victory, and it's a complex kingdom reality, right? We were told to go out and set the captives free, and there's some captives that are not free because we're not even helping out. So I do think we have that, but I'm not going to say that all suffering and sickness is evil. I believe in a theology of glory. Here's what it means. I believe in a theology of healing and a theology of suffering. What does that mean? That there is purpose in healing. I believe that if a bunch of people see a miracle and they want to give their life over to the Lord, boom, the kingdom is expanded. But if someone also sees a believer in a very difficult circumstance, still worshiping God, even though everything is a mess, kind of like Job, glory to God. Do you understand? Both occur at the same time. So what makes the difference? God determines what is best for his glory. And whatever that is, he's going to run with. You realize he has the power to veto anything his kids are doing, right? If I'm going to come in, I'm going to come in and pray for you for healing, and I'm going to come in swinging. I'm going to come in really hard, and I'm going to pray for your full healing, all the while knowing what? That God can go, nope, we're not doing that. Why? He's the boss. He gets to make that call. God's glory always determines what is best. All right, with our remaining time, I'm going to give you five principles for understanding prayer of healing. Prayer of healing. I'm going to give you five principles that you might want to keep in your mind as we are going through this growing phase of understanding kingdom living. Five principles. You might want to take notes on these. Here we go. Number one, just write down this phrase. It begins with identity. It begins with identity, what do I mean? We got to know who God is and who we are. Let me tell you who God is. God is able, he is loving, and he is generous. If we start with any other platform than that, we'll never even get going. Why? Because if God is not able to do kingdom work, then why are you trying in the first place? If God is not loving, then why are you asking him to bring help. If God is not generous, then you're always going to feel like you have to convince him of the right idea. It has to begin with an identity of knowing who God is. God is able, he is loving, and he is generous. Whenever you go out to pray, have that in your head, but you also have to know who you are. That you and I, if we have submitted to the Lord, we are children of God. That means we are partakers of the divine nature. That means that we are not simply grasping, we are empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It means that we have a lot more going on for us than you might imagine. So I want you to walk with confidence and humility. Do you realize that prayer is ultimately relational? If you ever find yourself in this journey starting to try to manipulate God and trying to act like you got to get a formula down, you miss something. Why? Because you're supposed to be talking to someone, not trying to manipulate something. Y'all following me? Sometimes it gets a little bit tricky, right? But just remember, God's listening. You know him. Just talk to him. This isn't a force that you're trying to shape, right? We'll talk about that. Do you understand this idea of faith, right? Jesus threw out some weird stuff. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I do not fully understand it because this is not a reality in my life yet. But let me tell you the story. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he's hungry, and he comes upon a fig tree. Now, the fig tree is looking nice. I mean, it is full of leaves, and it is a sharp-looking fig tree. So he's checking around through the leaves, and there's no fruit on it. So he curses the fig tree, and it dies. Now, before you start going, man, Jesus is mean to fig trees. What did the fig tree ever do to you, right? We kind of get into that. All right, calm down. There's a purpose. 
the real purpose of that story and that incident was that Israel was supposed to be the light and salt of the earth, but they weren't producing fruit and there was a curse upon them. That was actually what he was doing, but it caused a very unusual conversation with his disciples. It went something like this. Whoa! There you go. It was the idea of like, how in the world did you do that? You just shrunk a fig tree. Like you just killed the thing. How in the world? And Jesus says phrases like, if you had faith, you could do that and tell a mountain to move. He starts dropping these bombs. If you have faith and do not doubt, then anything is possible. He starts saying, if you believe what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. It says, it, but you need to believe that you have received it in advance. Okay, I have no idea what that means. Because usually anyone that ever preaches on this starts getting off into something weird, right? Because here's my number one concern about that concept of faith is that some take it to mean that the only reason you're still sick is that you don't have enough faith. Boy, you want to tick me off? Start going down that road. I'm not having it. Why? Because that's not how Jesus operated. But I am going to tell you this. Faith matters. I just think we need to understand what faith is. The most simplest view of faith that I can give you for that is this. Faith is confidence. Confidence in what? A person. You see, that is a warning against people that are saying, listen, if you don't really believe that God is real, if you really don't have a relationship with him and you're just throwing stuff to see what sticks to the wall because you're freaked out and you want some healing, you're probably not going to see a whole lot of response. But if you have a connection and a personal relationship with God and you have a confidence, God, I know that you hear me, then you can calm down knowing that he's going to take it from there. That's how I believe that that is to be read. Now, is there more to it? Yes. Do we need to grow into it? Yes, right? But that's another message. All right. Here's another element about identity that's really important. There's a bunch of us that will not go out and pray for healing because we don't think we're good enough. Uh, we won't even pray for healing for ourselves. For as a matter of fact, we think, yeah, God does miracles for those other people, but he would never do it for me. Or I don't want to pray for you. I'd rather have a pastor pray for you because I'm not worthy. I don't know if any of you have ever struggled with that, but let me clear it up. You ready? If you ever felt like you're unworthy, let me, let me clear it up. Here you go. You're unworthy. There you go. If you ever feel good about yourself, just pop, just pop that bubble right there. You're right. You're unworthy. We all are. Good thing it doesn't rely on us. Who's the one doing the healing? God. Is he worthy? Yeah. So once again, let's be very careful on something. You keep saying, I'm not worthy. Okay, that's not the end of the conversation. But can God go through you? Are you able to carry out his will? If he wants to love on someone and transform someone, can't he use you? You don't have to be worthy. Let me tell you this story. Peter and John are walking to the temple one day. And they do this every day. And they always pass the same guy. The guy's always asking for money. He's paralyzed, never walked in his entire life. As they're walking by, for whatever reason, Peter suddenly goes, I need to heal that dude. So the guy said, hey, can I have some money? And he says the famous line, silver or gold I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The guy instantly springs to his feet and he goes walking, leaping and praising God. Now, if you want to talk about a radical miracle, try this one. Here's why. Because most of us are amazed that he was able to take muscles that were atrophied and make them strong. Here's what I think is a bigger miracle. The man has never walked and doesn't know what balance is. How in the world did he go to instant walking and leaping just because he has muscle? God renewed him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He did a full re-rack of every system so he could do that. Wow. That's incredible, right? But here's what's so intriguing. After they get done, they're trying to do their ministry, and everybody's staring at them with their jaw down. They all think they're superheroes. Peter goes, hold up. I need to talk about this, you guys. Here's what he says. Quote, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why are you staring at us as though by our own power or holiness we made him walk? 
It was Jesus' name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. What was his point? He's like, man, I know John. John knows me. We are regular guys. I'm telling you right now, we didn't do this because we're super holy. We're not superheroes. We're just men. Jesus did it. God did it. It wasn't us. Every miracle, someone needs to be able to go back up the chain and give the glory to the right person. Y'all following me? So, yes, please don't let the enemy convince you that just because you're not worthy means you can't live in kingdom living. Of course you can. Why? Because Jesus is able. He's the amazing one. And I want you to have confidence in that. Write down number two. You ready? Here we go. Number two. Write down these two words, conduit and storehouse. Conduit and storehouse. What does it mean? It means some stuff we have in our pockets and some stuff we need to download from God. How does that work? Well, there's a simple rule. If it's in your wheelhouse and your ability, just get it done. If it's outside of your sphere of influence, you're going to need to request help. Here's how Jesus did it. Jesus was empowered by the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. He already got empowerment, right? So there's certain things he just did. Every time in the Bible when you see him cast out a demon or heal, he does not stop and check in with the Father. He just does it. And he comes in strong. The leper, boom, instantly reaches out and touches him, and the leper is healed. Someone's dead calls him back up, right back to life. Why? Because he had the storehouse. He had it in his pocket. Peter and John did the same thing. Why in the world would you say silver or gold I don't have in my pockets, but what I do have in my pockets is healing? You don't ever say that and then pray for the dude and he doesn't get healed. That's just rude. Do you understand? I mean, they were very confident. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There was no pause. Hey, Lord, is this a good idea? They just came out swinging. Why? Because they had a job to do. They had been empowered to do the job. Remember when Jesus was going to feed the 5,000, he told his disciples, what? You give them something to eat. When they caved, he stepped in. But when he stepped in, he still didn't give the food to the people. He gave it to his disciples to give to the people. See, God wants to do miracles in our midst, but he doesn't want to go direct. Can he go direct? Yes, but he would love to use you. He would love to move through the body, right? All right. So, we'll go to number three. We're running out of time. Number three, write down these three words. Anointing, gifting, and unity. Anointing, gifting, and unity. What do I mean? Anointing and gifting. Here you go. Have you ever been around a gifted evangelist? A gifted evangelist. Someone that has a supernatural gift of sharing their faith. If you've ever been around one of those, boy, they are irritating. <laughs> what do I mean? Because while you and I are sweating it out every day, because we all have to share our faith, and we're all freaked out about it. Oh my gosh, Lord, I'm in Starbucks and I think you want me to share with that person, but I can't possibly share with them. They're going to think I'm a total idiot. And Lord, what if I then share it with them and I can't think of the words to say, right? Like we go through a million reasons why we should never share our faith. And then all of a sudden an evangelist walks up and they start the conversation in the most awkward way. They're just like, Oh, since you brought up God, and no one brought up God, since you brought up God, you might need to be free of your sins and get saved right now. Okay, and you're horrified standing there, right? You're just like, oh, how do I get out of here? Oh, this is awkward. By the end of their conversation, the other person's bawling. They've received Jesus Christ, and now they're saved, and everything's awesome, and they're hugging him, saying, you shared life with me. And that's a gifted evangelist. What's the point? You see, we all need to share our faith, but some people are gifted extra. You guys, it's the case with all gifts. Everyone is supposed to preach the word. Every one of you should be doing what I'm doing. But it's easy for me. Why? Because it's not me. It's a gift. If that's the case, the same thing's going to be with healing. Listen, if you are a believer, 
you already have the greatest gift God ever gave us. What? Himself. No matter what other tricks that he allows you to do, the coolest thing he ever gave you was his presence. If you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, everything's on the table to work on. But you're not always gifted at everything. So some stuff's going to be way harder for you than it is for other people. You know what this demands? Unity. Why? Because someone else is going to have a superpower gifting of healing, and you need it. And that means you actually have to know each other and get together in order to see that power. Let me blow your mind with this concept. What if some of the gifts that we need at Bridgeway don't exist here? Because we always like to think only of our church, right? Oh, in our church, all the gifts are present. Let's say they're not. Doesn't that mean that we need to get together with other churches because they're part of the family? And as long as we are isolated and apart, we don't have the power. All I'm telling you is there's a lot of gifts and God sprinkles them out all over the place, just so his kids are forced to come together. Yeah? Unity is important. Write down number four. Number four, write down these three words. Authority, power, and process. Authority, power, and process. You have all heard this famous analogy that authority is like a police officer's badge. The power is a police officer's weapon. So what do I mean? I mean that the little shiny badge is saying something. It says that they're not just a dude named Bob, but they have a whole institution behind them. Back in the day, movies had cops saying this phrase, stop in the name of the law. Super corny. If you are law enforcement, please don't say that. They're just going to laugh at you and run away. But what was the point? The point was, I'm not just telling you as a person that you need to stop. I'm trying to tell you that according to my authority, I have an entire institution behind me that's saying, you need to stop. Do you understand the Christian does the same thing? Be healed in the name of Jesus. It's not saying I'm telling you to be healed. I'm telling you that I have all the kingdom of heaven standing behind me. But what happens when the authority is not enough? Now, let's say, for example, we'll go back to the 1940s or the 1920s, whichever one you like, as long as the gangster goes, yeah, see? <laughs> so whatever you want to do there, let's just go into that era. Okay. So let's say he's got a tummy gun, right? Yeah, this is old school. So you say, stop in the name of the law, and then he starts shooting your direction. He is not respecting that authority, so what happens? You then have to back up the authority, and then you start into a firefight with them, and you're trying to press in your power to back up your authority. You see, this happened with the disciples. What do I mean? In Matthew chapter 10, it says Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I now give you all authority over unclean spirits. What does all mean in Greek? All. There you go. I give you all authority over unclean spirits. Then in Matthew chapter 17, way later, Jesus is up on a mountain having a cool experience with his father. Meanwhile, down at the bottom, a guy brings his demon-possessed son to the disciples and it was nasty, it was brutal, and they couldn't cast it out. Do you remember this? But they had all authority. We already know that. So if you have all the authority, how in the world is the demon still hanging out there? Because the demon wasn't playing nice. The demon was resisting authority, which means you have to go to what? Power. How do you get to the power process? Watch this. Jesus comes walking down the mountain, and they're like, and he goes, what's going on here? And they're like, well, we couldn't cast it out. Jesus is like, ah, come on, guys. And he's like, you need to get out now. Right now, his badge is a little shinier, right? So the demon was like, yes, sir, and he took off, right? So the demon was gone. Well, afterwards, the disciples are like, what's up with that? Like, how come we couldn't cast it out? You gave us all authority. And he goes, ah, those are the sticky kind. They're like, what? You never told us there were sticky kinds? And he's like, yeah, that kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. There, what, there's a process? Like, how did I do it? How do we do that? And he's like, well, we have a lot to learn. Okay, so what's the point? Sometimes we go out and we don't even realize that we need to utilize our authority. And sometimes the authority is enough. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus. But sometimes there's some sticky stuff. And that means you need to go to your power. And there's a process by which we lock in, which is why as we go towards the worship, prayer, and healing night, what do you think we're doing? 40 days of fasting, tons of prayer, and getting locked and loaded and ready to go. Because if there's any sticky kinds, they got to go. Does that make sense? All right, here we go. Let's finish the last one. Number five, write this down. The matrix of prayer and healing. The matrix of prayer and healing. What do I mean? Well, let me tell you a story. In Luke 18, Jesus told a parable. He said that there once was a woman, a poor widow, who needed justice. So she called out to the judge and said, give me justice. And the judge is like, listen, I don't care about you, woman. You don't even matter to me. So she went to him again and again and again and again and again. He kept going, give me justice, give me justice. And then the judge finally said, I don't care about God. I don't care about you, but you are so irritating that I'll give you justice just so you don't wear me out. Jesus said, pray like that. That's weird, huh? He said, if this bad guy is willing to cave, how much more will your loving heavenly father respond to his children when they ask? But there's some stuff that needs to be prayed through. Too many of us, we pray about stuff and we give up after the first try. The first part of that passage says this, and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Have you ever thought that it's possible that God wants to bring breakthrough, but there's a process by which to break through? And we pray about something once and give up. All I'm telling you is that it's complicated. Think about God's will. What is God's will? Remember, I told you he can veto everything. What's God's will? Well, I'll tell you this. Paul the apostle had a thorn in the flesh. Do you remember this story? Nobody knows what it is. Some people think it was an emotional issue. Some people think it was a physical issue, maybe a disease. Maybe it was his eyesight. Nobody fully knows. But it was miserable to him, and he was suffering. So he said, I asked God to take it away three times, and God told me no. He said, why? And he said, in essence, this, son, with the amount of gifting I've given you, with the stuff I allow you to do, if you don't have something keeping you humble, you're going to become a monster. So I got something that's shutting you down because I need you to stay with me. So the answer is no. You see, we always think that prayer for healing and everything is so easy and automatic but it wasn't in the Bible and it's not now. Do you realize the Bible is kind of like the Facebook highlight reel? <laughs> like you just scan through it and you're like, oh, everything went easy. No, it didn't. How do we know that? Paul wrote a letter to Timothy and he said, hey buddy, I appreciate you trying to be all holy and not having any wine because you're trying to make it look good. You're screwing up your stomach. You know your water source is bad. Can you just drink wine and leave it alone? Why would he tell him that if it was just easy to heal it? Why not just heal the stomach lining and then he can drink whatever he wants? Because it doesn't work like that. Then Paul writes in another letter, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Why in the world would Paul say he left someone sick if he could have just easily just healed them? Because God gets to pick and God gets to veto and God knows what the bigger picture is. Here's another thing about the matrix of healing. And I mean matrix, meaning everything is so layered. Have you ever thought about the fact that we don't always know how to pray and that we tend to pray for symptoms as opposed to root cause? I'm going to use an, an, an analogy. You ready for this? It's called the billiard ball and the tilted shelf analogy. Have you guys ever heard that? Nope, because I made it up. Everybody know what a billiard ball is? It's a pool ball. They're the little slick ones that, let's say it's on a wooden shelf and the wooden shelf is tilted and you put the ball at the top, what's going to happen? It's going to roll right off. What happens if you put it back on the shelf? It's going to roll right off. So when we pray for healing of symptoms, isn't God just resetting the ball, but then it rolls right back off again? It's intriguing to me that we will tend to pray for symptoms. We don't even know what the root cause is. Let's say, for example, we see someone in addiction and we want to pray them freedom from addiction. Sounds pretty awesome to me. 
And I'm probably going to pray that for you. But what if the reason you keep going into addiction is because of trauma in your past? You know, many people have asked me over the years, Pastor, what's the deal with temporary healing where someone gets radically healed and then four days later it comes back? Boy, that's irritating. And everyone assumes that that meant it was bogus. It was all in your head. I disagree. First of all, isn't God allowed to give us a temporary respite of our problems? Let's say if the suffering is necessary, he can't take the full thing away, but he can give you a break. Is that possible? But let's say it's not. Let's go back to that analogy. Let's say, for example, we pray over a man who has cirrhosis of the liver because of alcoholism, and we pray a reset, get him a new liver, and he keeps drinking. Don't we have the same problem happening again? Once again, I don't think that we fully know all the things going on, but we're doing our best. And we're saying, Lord, please guide me and lead me as I pray over these people. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Listen, obviously I'm just highlighting a few things, but I want to just tell you this. How do we pray for somebody? You guys, let's keep it a little more simple. You come in with the right mindset. You make sure that you're prepped and ready to go. And what you do is you lay your hands on them if they're cool with that. If not, no big deal. You can just pray. God knows how to jump from one to the other. And you say, I just want to pray for you if that's okay. Heavenly Father, would you pour down your favor upon my friend here? And in your authority that you've given me, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray healing over their body right now. God, I don't know everything that's wrong. I can tell right now, Lord, their back is hurting. God, would you just touch their spine in Jesus' name? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray. Amen. Do you understand how there's nothing scary about that? But you just did kingdom living right there. That other person is loved on. That other person is cared for. You didn't make all kinds of radical promises and start giving hope that God's like, hold up, what are you doing? I'm working in this. You don't know. Confident, humble. Let's just do the ministry. I'm going to pray over you as we close on out. But I want to remind you of one thing as we close out, and it's this. If you're listening to my message and you're going, Man, that guy talks way too long and way too loud. But I think what he's saying is right. If you have a sense in your, in your heart and in your spirit right now that everything I'm talking about is right, and you said, you know what? I want Jesus in my life. I want to know him as my Lord and Savior. Do you realize that this prayer team right here is equipped to have that conversation with you? They can tell you right now the process to become a Christian. They can tell you right now what it means to be forgiven. And you know what's really cool about this weekend? We got water in the sanctuary. <laughs> we'll do baptism right now. You're like, I didn't wear the right clothes. Who cares? Let's do it, yeah? All right, praise God. All right, let me pray a blessing over you and we'll dismiss. Heavenly Father, you are great and mighty and wonderful. And we want to thank you for your gifts and your kindness. We want to thank you for your presence, that no matter what else you would ever do for us or with us, the fact that you are near is everything. Lord, we love you with all our heart. We want to be living for you more. So God, if there is areas where we need to grow or we need to risk or we need to mature, would you encourage us to go forward? Father, I would love for this entire family to be excited and powerful and ready to be kingdom livers. God, I just pray right now that you might move through us, that you would inspire us to go out and do great things for your glory. Lord, may we be the church full. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.